0: Bible, just raise your hand and Greg's up. He'll get one for you so you can follow along with us. Acts chapter 28 this evening. Everybody has a Bible. Awesome. That's what we're here for, Bible study. So it's good you have a Bible. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather tonight, Lord. We thank you for just the sweet time of worship that we've had, Lord, just focusing our hearts on you and uh, our adoration, our praise. Lord, you are worthy of all of our praise and thanksgiving. We thank you, Lord, for this awesome time of worship. Lord, we want to continue to worship you through the study of your word. and We ask your blessing now upon that time, Lord, that you'd speak to our hearts, uh, Lord, that we'd have open ears to receive all that you have for us this evening. Thank you for this time, Lord. We give you the praise and glory and the honor for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this is it this evening. We arrive at the last page of the first chapter of church history, the last chapter of the book of Acts. Luke's unfinished book introduces us to the whole record of the history of the church, which continues on to this very single day. If you recall, we Last left our friend, our Apostle Paul, and his company on their way to Rome, stranded as and shipwrecked castaways on the coast of the island of Malta, just south of Sicily. They ended up there after a long and dangerous voyage, in which they were driven across the Mediterranean Sea, this terrible storm. They lost all their gear. I mean, the ship was finally breaking apart, you know, torn apart by the storm. Just as Paul said what happened... But their lives were saved, as he also predicted, because an angel of the Lord told him that they would all be saved. So all 276 people on the ship escaped the storm, made it safely to shore. Some swam, some surfed, some surfboard. The board, remember, he looked at that last time. So now that brings us to verse 1 of chapter 28, and we read. Now when they had escaped, they then found out that the island was called Malta, and the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. Now, remember, the storm is still raging on. It just didn't stop when they landed on the island. Uh, it's been going on. They've been enduring it for 14 days and 14 nights. And now they come through the surf. It's wintertime. The Mediterranean is cold. They come upon the beach, and the natives built a fire for them so they could warm themselves, dry themselves out. Verse 3 says, Paul also gathered a bundle of sticks. And I think that gives us some interesting insight into the Apostle Paul. He's the kind of guy that just wouldn't sit still. Always had to be doing something. Paul was a doer. So they're building a fire. Rather than Paul just sitting around and letting them do the fire, he said, you know, I'm going to do something. I'm going to go gather some sticks. I'm going to help out here. Just that kind of guy. Verse 3 says, again, when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire... A viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hands. Now, sometimes Satan tries to destroy us with sizable storms in our lives. Other times, he likes to use sneaky little snakes. I think I'd much rather prefer sizable storms than sneaky snakes. But again, I look at the Apostle Paul. And here, they've just been shipwrecked, as he said they would. All of them were safe, as he said they would. Paul could have been standing around the fire, going, "I told you guys, I told you it'd be all safe. You didn't listen to me. You know, uh, listen. I'm the big man on the island now. Okay, just give me my guava juice. Okay, bring it to me. You serve me. You know, he doesn't do that. Storm is raging. They're wet. They're cold. Paul, you know, saw some guys lighting fire. How can I help? He, you know, he goes gets more firewood. And, and, and you know what? How can I do to help others? Is what he's thinking. I'm going to help here. And what happens? That's exactly when the serpent struck, when Paul was helping others. In your own life, you can be sure that that is when the serpent will strike you, when you're helping others, when you're serving others, when you're loving others. That's what these, you know, when the sneaky little snake will bite, that's where your motives are truly tested. You know, it's been said the test of a true servant is when they're treated like one. And maybe you've been helping someone out, and you've kind of really gone out of your way with that person. Someone walks up to you and accuses you of being selfish or not caring. Or How do you respond? Well, "Well, you don't know. You know, you get upset, or or do you just kind of shake off the snake? Shake off the bite from the enemy, or you get freaked out and panic? Now, I say, praise God, I've never been bitten by a snake. In fact, I've, I've had a fear of snakes all my life mainly because of my lack of understanding or lack of knowledge of them or because of what I do know about them. I don't like what I know about them. You know, they, they, this was a couple of years back and our neighbor had a black snake came to the front door and, and my son Chris came out and a couple of girls came out and they're all just infatuated by this black snake and I'm in my back bedroom with the door shut. <laughs> I come to find out it wasn't a, a poisonous snake, but but Chris thought it was the neighbor's pet snake. Until after he took it back, I said, no, I just found it in the, in the bushes over there. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, that's crazy. Now, I don't know, if, if a snake would fasten itself under me, I know uh, apart from the move of God's Holy Spirit in my life, I'd be freaked out. I'd be screaming like a little girl. I just know I would. Now, in Paul's case, he's totally assured of what God has called him to do. He shakes the snake off into the fire. Verse 5 says, But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. Like, this thing happens all the time. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. So, like I was saying, that type of deal. Let me ask you to think about what may be fastening onto your life right now. Maybe what bite of the serpent is holding on to you right now or has a hold of you. Will you, as Paul, shake it off into the fire? Will you let it hang on you as it seeps its poison into your system? In fact, the, the, the fact that it fastened the Paul its kind of scary when you think about it. I mean, if you've ever seen them, them shows on TV, and, and you know, I don't know why I watch them, but the snakes, when they take them, they have the jar and the paper, and they, they put the fangs in there, and the, 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 the venom goes in there. And, and so, so this snake is on Paul. I can picture just pumping that venom into Paul. It's been said that venom from poisonous snakes can cause local tissue death, bleeding and destruction of blood cells, and nerve damage, including coma and paralysis. Think about that from a spiritual aspect. What damage the venom can do to your walk as a believer that can cause paralysis to your spiritual walk? You know, maybe you're, you're an owner of a business and, and the viper of dishonesty bites you. Oh, you know, I've I, I just, just, I just got just this temptation to take a shortcut here. I'm, I'm going to make a fortune. It's no big deal. Everybody's doing it. And because you don't shake off that temptation, that bite, the venom spreads through your whole body. Eventually, you, you find yourself either in an embezzler's cell or the verge of suicide. Maybe a viper of dishonesty. It's got to be shaken off right away. Maybe it's a, a viper of worldliness. Maybe it's a 2017 Dodge Viper. <laughs> Bright red with the V10 engine, leather interior. You think, oh man, if I just had that. you know. And having these worldly ambitions, you end up putting God on the shelf and spending most of your day seeking the things of the world. One day you realize you've failed because you've allowed the world to come between you and God and you realize apart from God all is vanity, as Solomon wrote. Maybe it's a, a Viper of uncontrolled uh, anger, a temper. Maybe a Viper of malice. Be the viper of self-indulgence. Lust fills your heart and the only thought is to indulge the body and satisfy the flesh to give into the bad habits, you know, that you've had. The Bible clearly states the wages of sin is death. We need to shake off whatever viper may be attaching itself to us and be a pure man, a pure woman for God. So as Paul was laying wood on the fire, viper comes because of the, the, the heat and bit and fastens on the Paul's hand. Paul shakes it into the fire. Let me say this. God didn't preserve Paul from the storm, just let him die from a snake bite, okay? And so Paul was protected. He was promised that he was going to go to Rome, and Paul wasn't to Rome yet. It wasn't so much that nothing would stop Paul as it was, as it was nothing would stop God's promise from being fulfilled. Now, one more thing. I know I've spent a long time on snakes, but one more thing before we move on. There are those who say because of this text... And, uh, Jesus' words in Mark chapter 16 verse 17 and 18. They say you can pick up a venomous snake and nothing will happen to you. Jesus said in Mark 16, 17 and 18, and these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Listen, Jesus wasn't giving the go ahead to have Sunday morning snake handling church services. Notice Jesus did not say those who believe should follow signs. He said signs would follow those who believe. In other words, as the disciples went into the world, if they were bitten by a snake or unknowingly partook of something poisonous, the Lord would protect them and people would see His reality in their lives. It was as they went uh, into all the world that signs and wonders would accompany them, not as they you know, charged people for the seminars and, and then remained you know, within the safety of the church. I mean, I'm sure you guys are going, oh, come on, do they really still do that? Do they really still have snake handling services going on? They do. A year ago, maybe you saw this, in Bell County, Kentucky, according to the WKYT-TV, a 60-year-old man named John David Brock died after a snake bit him in the left arm and he refused medical treatment. Brock was handling a snake during a church service at Mossy Simpson Pentecostal Church in Jensen, Kentucky, church member says Brock was bitten by a rattlesnake where he then refused medical treatment and went to his brother's house and died four hours later. That article went on to say that there's over 300 churches nationwide that still use snake handling in their services. They're nuts. That's all i got to say is they're nuts. Now back to Paul. Look at the reaction of those who witnessed Paul being bit. Starting in verse 4, we read, So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom, though he had escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their mind and said, he was a god. (laughs) I mean, isn't that typical human nature? First, the islanders are going, this guy's a murderer, man. He's getting what he deserved. Then just as quickly, he's a god just shows us how uh, foolish it is for us to seek the fickle praise from people. Because they'll put you down quickly as they're going to lift you up. Okay, They may look at you one moment as a murderer, and the next moment as, as a god, or it can be the other way around. They can look at you as a god, as a hero, but then the next day as a goat. I mean, all you got to do is look at some of the sports heroes today, you know that, that, you know, that maybe they go into a slump, find out just how fickle the crowd really is. They get up to bat and they're used to hearing the cheers and, oh, yeah, the screaming of praise. And man once they hit that slump, boo, you know, oh, you know, and and the hisses of the crowd. How fickle is the glory of the world? See, the Scripture teaches us not to seek the glory of man, the admiration or the approval, but let's really seek the glory of God, seek His approval. But notice what did impress the natives here. Paul suffered a snake bite and yet nothing happened to him. You see, the world is rarely impacted. or drawn to Jesus Christ through the sight of Christians prospering. Uh, understand it's through seeing believers suffering, not giving up, that cause these natives to change their minds. And so too, I think perhaps that God will allow us to go through difficulties, times of suffering, just to be that example to the world around us. Perhaps the most important ministry that you'll ever have is when people see how we re- react to the same pain uh, that they go through all the time. After all, the people of Malta—they certainly knew about snakes. I mean, I'm sure, you know, they experienced, you know, their own family being bit by a snake, maybe even dying from their poison. And now to see Paul in this, this situation—how is Paul going to handle it? And my point is this: God often permits trouble to come our way because it gives us the greatest opportunity to prove to non-believers that our God is all powerful, that our God can do great and mighty things. I mean, I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three teenagers, you know, the Hebrew boys thrown into the fiery furnace by Nebuchadnezzar. God didn't keep them out of the fire, but he kept uh, fire, the fire from out of them. Or Daniel, when he's thrown into the lion's den, he, he kept the lions from hunting or hurting Daniel. In the New Testament, God did not keep Lazarus from dying, but he delivered him from death when Jesus called him to come forth. Or Peter, you know, Peter went to jail. He was imprisoned, but by God's power, he was brought out. And then finally, he did not keep Jesus from the cross, but he raised him from the dead. See, in each case, God allows the suffering to come. Then he shows his mighty power in deliverance. So just remember that when we suffer, maybe God is wanting to show the world around us that he's a mighty deliverer and how powerful he is. Now look at verses 7 through 9. In that region there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island, whose name was uh, Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went into him and prayed, and he laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. Now, Publius is called the leading citizen. It's an exact technical term for a person who represented Rome uh, on that island. And so he was the, the head guy. He was, Luke tells us he was a good guy. He blessed him for three days. But then we read that Publius's pop, his dad... Became sick with dysentery. Now some think this that this sickness was known as Malta fever, which comes from a, a microorganism found in the milk of Maltese goats. Uh, and it's usually to last for about four months. Well, Paul goes in, verse 8 says that he prayed, he laid hands on him, and he was healed. God did the work, but Paul made himself available for the work. And then we read the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. Now, no doubt, they saw that, oh, man, I'm sick, hey, and they all come rushing in. But it's interesting that word for healed there is not the customary word for, like, a miraculous healing. The word more literally means to receive medical attention. Now, understand, it's Luke, Dr. Luke, who's recording these words here. And, and uh, you know, it may be that Luke, who was a physician, according to Colossians 4.14, served as a medical missionary on Malta. Yes, God did the miraculous healings, but all, God also chose to use doctors, Dr. Luke, to heal the people. And I think the same way, when it comes to healing, you know, the Bible says in James 5, 4, 14 and 15, If there's anyone sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. At the prayer faith, will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up, and if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. But sometimes, the Lord uses doctors You know, when we we as elders pray for for people, you know, we come up and we we pray, Lord, if you choose to use the doctor to heal this person, then we pray that you give the doctor wisdom. You know, if you choose to use the doctor for a surgery, we pray that you guide their hands and heal this person, we pray. See, either way God is doing the healing, however he wants to do it, our responsibility is just to come to him and ask. Now, what is interesting is that although Paul prayed for everyone on the island and they were healed, We know that Paul continued to suffer himself. We know that he had the thorn in his flesh, which most Bible scholars believe that he had some sort of eye disease going on with his eyes. So even though God is our mighty deliverer and he does heal, there are times that he chooses not to. Remember Paul in writing to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 8 and 9. He said this, Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me, and he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul was used by God to heal others, yet Paul was denied a healing. And again, sometimes the greatest way the Lord uses us is to the very same areas in our own lives we struggled with. Maybe you had a difficult marriage early on in your relationship, but now God is using you as an effective minister in helping other couples. Maybe you've lost a loved one to cancer and you struggled with it for a number of years, but now you're able to minister compassion and, and comfort to those that are going through the same thing. John MacArthur writes this, the weaker the human instrument, the more clearly God's grace shines forth. I like that. I think a, a Beethoven, you know, gave the world timeless music that he himself, being stone deaf, never heard. See, it, it, it's just another display and wonder of God's grace that instead of growing bitter... They were just content to be used by God to share His gifts and love to people who are struggling with the same things you've struggled with but now have overcome. And an apostle Paul's life truly just exemplifies God's amazing grace. Well, now it's time to set sail, to leave the island again. Look at verse 10. They say, They also honored us in many ways, and when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. Verse 11. And after three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brother's which had wintered at the island. Twin brothers refers to Greek mythology. They were the twin sons of Zeus, the god of navigation. What's amazing to me, and maybe you thought about this over the last couple of studies that we've done, is how accurate the account that Luke gives to us. He's so precise with the type of ships that they sailed in, what broke on the ship, what was happening, how they crashed, why they crashed, what was going on, really showing to us that no one else could restore to, restore, record a story like this unless they were actually there experiencing this whole thing. Again, proving to us just how true God's Word is. Well, verse 12 goes on, And landing at Syracuse, we stayed three days. From there we circled around and reached Re- Re- Regium. And after one day the south wind blew, and the next day we came to Puteoli, where we found brethren and were invited to stay with them seven days. And so we went towards Rome, and from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as the L.A. Forum and the Holiday Inn. Okay, actually the Appy Forum was a market town 43 miles south of Rome on the Appian Way, and the Three Inns was a rest stop on the Appian Way about 30 miles south of Rome. But we read in verse 16, when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. See, Paul, finally he's meeting up with some other believers around him. I mean, it's just been him and Luke and, and, and I think one other. Said, but uh, uh, and here that he meets up and some travel a little bit further than others to meet the Apostle Paul. And no doubt just their hearts were stirred through, through the letter that Paul wrote to them earlier in his epistle to the Romans. But just think about it, just the joy to, to meet other Christians. Paul was encouraged. I don't know if you've ever done that where you go someplace and you're kind of by yourself and you run into another Christian. Or you, or you go and you go someplace with another. Creature, all of a sudden you go, oh yeah, man, praise the Lord, and, and you start having that fellowship together. Just just this peace that comes over you because it's sweet fellowship. Verse sixteen. Now when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoner to the captain of the guard, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. So all those prisoners they, they went to the captain of the guard, but then Paul, you know, he he's allowed to stay live by himself with the Roman guard. Now we know that Paul was chained to different guards and every four to six hours they would switch guards, which means that they he won many, many guards to Christ. So much so that, that when he writes to the Philippian believers in Philippians 4.22, he says, all the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. So man, he's just witnessing the guys one after another. Finally, Paul's in Rome, he made it. Now, do you think that Paul would go, man, what a trip. Man, let's just kick back a few weeks. We need to regroup, get some R&R, and then we're going to see what God has in store for us. (laughs) Paul? (laughs) No way. Look at verse 17. And it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. Man, he doesn't waste any time at all. Verse 17. So when they had come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, Yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined me, wanted to let me go, because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you to see you and speak with you, because for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. Paul here wants his fellow Jews to, uh, to, to know and to understand. He wants to assure the leadership there in Rome that he's not there to speak against the nation of Israel. He's not some political adversary. That wasn't his purpose. He's there because of a political situation he found himself in, and now he had to make his appeal to Caesar. But he wanted them to be assured that he wasn't about to make any derogatory accusations against the nation. But then he adds this, and I love this in verse 20, he says, For this reason, therefore, I have called for you to speak you, to see you and speak with you, because for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. For the hope of Israel. What does that mean? Well, the hope of Israel was the Messiah, was the Messiah. At that point... I think they knew what Paul was talking about. They all looked for the Messiah. Paul is saying, Hey, I'm here because i got something to tell you about the Messiah. So they respond to Paul in verse 21. Then they said to him, We neither receive letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken any evil of you, but we desire to hear from you what you think for concerning this sect. We know that it is spoken against everywhere. He's going... Hey, we never heard anything. I mean, you think maybe in your mind, Paul, you thought all these things had happened, we have, we don't have a clue. He says, but this is what we do know concerning this sect. We know it's spoken against everywhere. It's not not what we're seeing nowadays. I mean, you turn on the TV, you turn on the news, and and, and Christianity is spoken against. it. It's put down. So Paul says. So they say to Paul, we desire to hear what you what you think. So Paul said, yeah, want to hear about the sect that are called Christians? Great glad you're here. Now I need you to go talk to the pastor because he can tell you all about it. Or he said, no, no, no. i got a friend that has a great podcast. Listen to this podcast. You're going to hear all about it. No, we read that Paul spoke to them himself. My point is this, as believers, we need to take that step. We need to be ready at any time to give every man an answer to the hope that lies within us. To be able to say, oh no, this this is the Lord. And that's what Paul does. Look at verse 23. So when they appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. What a Bible study that would have been. No doubt Paul would have gone all the way back to the beginning. Maybe Genesis 22. There where Abraham was told to take his only son and offer him as a sacrifice to the Lord and you know the stories. He goes up on the mountain and Isaac, who many believe was approximately about 33 years old, said to his father, here's the wood, here's the fire, where's the sacrifice? And what did Abraham say? Unknowingly, he spoke prophetically, saying, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. Speaking of Jesus. Maybe Paul then went to uh, to the book of Exodus, chapter 12. And talk to them about the Passover, how they were instructed to take a Passover lamb and, and place his blood on the, on the top of the sides of the threshold of the door, depicting a cross. Paul bringing up that Jesus is our sacrificial lamb and his blood was shed upon the cross for our sins. Maybe he took them to Psalm 22 and just had them read what the description of the cross and what the cross is all about, written well before the, 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 the invention of the cross was ever uh, recorded. There he might have taken him to Micah 5, you know, where the prophecy that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Maybe Daniel chapter 9, where, where Jesus would be walking into the to Jerusalem in his, his uh, triumphal entry. Maybe Zechariah 11, where it says that the Messiah would be betrayed by his friend for 30 pieces of silver. I mean, all these things I'm sure he's sharing fact after fact, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. I'm sure you've all heard the, the uh, chances, the analogies uh, that one man could fulfill 300 of those prophecies. You know, it, it's like 1 in 10 to the 23rd power. It's one with 23 zeros after it. The, the age old uh, analogy, you know, you take the whole state of Texas. Cover it with, with, you know, silver dollars, paint one of them red, randomly drop it anywhere in the, in the state, then blindfold a man, let him, you know, let him down in the middle of Texas, and the odds of him finding that one coin is the same odds of Jesus fulfilling the prophecies. So again, imagine Paul giving verse after verse, Paul pointing to Jesus Christ, maybe even giving his own testimony to seal the deal, to show how God changed his life. Then even in all of that, look at verse 24. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. Wow! It is not always the case. Even with the gospel message being presented as clearly as Paul did, some will believe, yet some, because of the hardness of their hearts, will not. You know, when, when I think about that, I think, okay, how can we apply that as Christians? You know, I, I think we know our sins are forgiven. We know that Jesus is a Messiah, and that we will soon be with heaven with Him. Yet, in the meantime, we might be filled with doubt and, and unbelief and despair because of unbelief. See, the, uh, the Bible says in Ephesians 5.20, and everything give thanks. Why? Well, because Romans 8.28 says all things are working together for good. But instead, what, we, we, we fret and we worry over, over things going on in our lives. Maybe there's a stack of bills on the desk. We go, oh, man, how am I going to pay that? And we forget. We, we don't believe. And, and we forget that Philippians 14 says, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. My point is, some Christians believe what God says, and some don't. Those who don't find themselves engulfed in despair, and defeat, and discouragement. See, it's not just enough to to know the scriptures. You and I must believe them. We need to need to put them into practice. See, to believe is an action word. It's a verb. We, we can we can be the most happy, carefree people in the world if we act on what we believe. You know, the scriptures tell us. You know. Uh, you, you might know the scriptures back and forth, but Jesus said, happy are you them if, if you do them. See, it all begins by saying, today I'm going to believe that God is working, he's fulfilling what he's promised. So again, verse 24, some were persuaded by the things which were spoken and some disbelieved. Verse 25. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand. And seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. Therefore let it be known to you that the the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Paul says, fine. You don't want to listen. Listen. Here's what I'm going to tell you. And he's got these, these powerful words. See, he's quoting Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. And he understood that Isaiah prophesied of the hardness of the hearts of Jewish people. And quoting Isaiah, he says, Hearing you will hear, and shall so not understand. What Paul is saying is if you reject Jesus, you can hear, but you'll never understand. You can see, but you can never perceive. Your heart is and will be hard. Your ears will be closed and your eyes shut because you really don't want to turn to God. You really don't want to turn from your sin. And I think this is a message that's true today, just as it was when Isaiah first said it or when Paul quoted it. Many hear the gospel message. They hear it and they reject it simply because they don't want to turn to God and be healed of their sin. They don't want to change. No doubt Paul, with a broken heart, saw these Jews turn away once again. You know, this is the last time in the Scriptures in which we see the Gospel officially presented before the Jewish people. It's always amazed me how Jewish unbelief is, is, it's just amazing to me, how they miss the tremendous passages in Scripture that clearly point to the Messiah. What was the reason these Jews refused to believe? Well, again, if you look closely at this account, you can see because it meant change. That have to change. They were comfortable where they were at. They didn't want to be disturbed. They had worked out their their this comfortable theological explanation of who the Messiah would be. But when God moved in a different way from what they experienced, even though He had predicted it in His Word, they didn't want to move with Him, and they hung back and clung to their tradition and refused to change from the comfort of what they knew. They didn't want to be changed. And I think the same thing is true with those that we share our faith with. If they don't want to be changed. There's not much you can do at that point. Once you've shared the gospel with them, all that is left is to pray for them that their hearts will be really changed. They've heard the gospel. They've rejected it. It's time to move on to someone else. And that's what Paul says. He says Gospel's going to the Gentiles. You guys don't want to hear, I'm, I'm, I'm not done. I'm going to the Gentiles. Finally, the last two verses of the book of Acts, verse 30. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. Now you read that and go, but what happened to Paul? I mean, how come Luke didn't finish the book? What's going on here? Here's what I think. Luke's responsibility was to record the spread of Christianity. He fulfilled that responsibility. Remember what Jesus said in Acts eight. But you shall, re- you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Well, at that time, from Jerusalem to Rome, Rome at that time was the end of the earth. The commission was fulfilled. There's no need to write more. Although this is where Luke put his pen down, Paul's story continued. While he was chained to a guard, uh, for a couple of years he wrote the book of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Then history tells us that Paul was acquitted of his charges and enjoyed a few more years of freedom. Then Paul had the opportunity to witness to Nero, where after rejecting Paul's message, Nero went on a rampage, killing Christians in many horrible ways. Uh, history, historical records verify that Nero lost his mind at the very time he listened to Paul and rejected the gospel. Eventually, rearresting the apostle Paul and placing him in a, a real dungeon this time, where he would spend the remainder of his life until Nero had him beheaded. But notice, just before he was beheaded, however, Paul wrote these words to his young son in the faith, Timothy. He wrote this in 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. What a life that man lived. I love the way Dr. W. Herschel Ford closes his commentary on Paul's life and really the book of Acts. And he says this, and I quote, As Paul was led out to the slaughter, we see a great block of wood, a soldier, and a shining axe. But Paul sees a crown of glory and a beloved Savior awaiting him. As his head is placed upon the block, we hear him say, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. The axe is lifted, the blade flashes in the sunlight, and it comes down with mighty power. Paul's head rolls off the block, but his soul soars to the heights of heaven. Now, Paul, it is as you said, you are absent from the body, but present with the Lord. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Goodbye, Paul. We will meet you there someday when life's battles have all been fought, and when the mists of earth have rolled away. End quote. I like that. What a a, a fitting finish to the book of Acts. What a meeting Paul and Jesus must have had when he appeared before Jesus. To hear the Lord say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. No more suffering, Paul. No more trials, Paul. No more beatings, Paul. No more shipwrecks, Paul. No more hardships, Paul. No more tears, Paul. And I could just hear Paul saying, Lord, it's been all worth it just to hear your voice and to see your face. I would go through it 10,000 times and never be able to pay you for what you've done for me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this incredible, incredible record that we have in the book of Acts. Lord, your Holy Spirit moving and working in the lives of the believers there, the great miracles that we have read, the power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the believers. Lord, we know that there's an Acts 29 and an Acts 30 and Acts 31, Lord. It's our lives, Lord. It's the work that you're doing in us as your church today. And Lord, we pray for the infilling of your Holy Spirit, God, to empower us to be as bold as your servant Paul was and these disciples. Lord, we pray that as Paul we would finish well, that we would not, Lord, uh, turn from what is right, Lord, but we would have a strong finish so that too when we appear before you, Lord, that you will say to us, well done, a good and faithful servant. Lord, thank you for the things that we've learned this evening, Lord. Lord, thank you, Lord, uh, even for the times of struggles and suffering that we go through, Lord, because you've made us a, uh, kind of less worthy to suffer for your namesake, that we might be a light to those around us, that we might show them, Lord, your love and grace and power. Lord, thank you for this time tonight, Lord. We, we praise you for it. We give you all the glory and honor.